0: Hi, everyone. This is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. First, happy New Year's to everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening to the first 19 episodes of In Good Hands. We really do appreciate it. In today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. All right. So we've been working on this project for over five months now. We've been talking with some of the most captivating storytellers, founders, companies that are taking on the climate problem set. And throughout the course of those conversations, we've come to appreciate a set of themes and lessons and takeaways that we think are really important. And we would love to distill down into this episode. And who better to help me do this than our superhero behind the scenes, the producer of In Good Hands,
1: Mr. Dan Mahoney. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Peter. It's a little scary to be on the other side of things, but I'm definitely excited to sort of sit down and break down some of these moments and themes that we've been talking about four or five months now. We've been I've been kind of itching to do this episode to sort of pull back the curtain, but also talk about what we think is important about what we're doing here and what some of these companies are doing out in the real world. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting to have
0: you on the show today because- Not only have we been having these important conversations for months and months now, but you are also the kind of person, the master chef responsible for seeking out the companies that are having impact in real life, crafting the narrative and the story arc in every episode so that our listeners can, A, better understand what climate change is, right? What makes up that climate problem set. And then, two, you know, What's being done in the world today to move the needle, to create progress and make us more hopeful about the future?
1: Yeah, but I kind of want to step out of this master chef role, and I want to ask you an important question. Sounds good. <laughs> so what is the most important takeaway that you think that a business owner or typical listener can get just so that we give our listeners something? important right at the start of this episode to sort of act upon or use in their day-to-day lives it's a great question i think the takeaway that i'd love to
0: reiterate from previous episode is connecting outputs to inputs and what does that mean so if you remember from the chipotle episode this is a company with over a thousand stores across the world and what they've done to reduce their climate footprint is what they've called the dumpster dive. They quite literally look at the trash that makes up all of their waste across the company's footprint. They look to see what are in these dumpsters, right? What is the waste stream made of? And then they ask themselves the question, where can they connect the dots? Where can the outputs? be used or reintegrated into the inputs. An example of that philosophy being executed is their gloves to bags program, where they recognized a pretty meaningful portion of their waste were the plastic gloves that their workers use and throw away. And they found that those plastic gloves could be used to create the very plastic bags that make up the trash bags across all of the company stores. So the takeaway here is, at least for business owners, if you're trying to ask yourself, what can I do to limit my climate impact without having to compromise on my variable and fixed costs? What can I do to contribute without making meaningful sacrifices? It's audit your waste stream and look to see what can you do to reintegrate your output's with your inputs. Actually, I'd love to flip the question to you. Dan, what do you think is the most or the highest impact or consequential takeaway from the first 19 episodes?
1: It wasn't necessarily something that I discovered over the process of those episodes, but I think it was something that was confirmed. And it's the reason why we frame everything in this idea of the climate problem set. The idea that climate is this immeasurably immensely large problem and that to even think of it as one thing is almost hopeless and so something that it's been really crystallized by talking to all these companies that are even making the smallest change that becomes such a large impact is the clearest evidence of that that there's a lot of different inputs into solving this climate problem
0: I think you remember when we before we kicked off the project, We surveyed people on Instagram, just in our personal network, and we said, you know, what is climate change? You know, what does it mean to you? And you can hear, at least in part, what we found based on episode zero, that people don't really know what it is, right? It's this chunky, complicated phrase to 99% of people. It's too large to comprehend. It's too all-encompassing. So you are spot on breaking down large things into small consumable chunks is something that people do across all types of things. You see a cake. You, you don't just tell someone, you know, make a cake. You give them a recipe. Right. And, you know, then you start to think, all right, you know, I got to I got to get, you know, two. I don't know. Actually, I'm going to stop giving that cake analogy because I really don't know how to make one. (laughs) But the point is, regardless of who you are, it's just a lot easier to understand big, complicated things by
1: breaking them down into smaller, consumable chunks. Anytime that you can slow the world down, so to speak, to sort of give a problem time to breathe and to sort of work on it. And I think that's what we're starting to discover through 19 conversations with 19 incredible people that sometimes you make a false step, but as long as you're working towards and constantly innovating and reiterating, you're starting to get to sort of the meat of the issue.
0: Dan, I, I think you're right. It's helpful that kind of we, we laid a general framework about how we thought about this project and the overarching purpose, right? One, to help people understand the smaller things that contribute to this larger phenomenon that we've called climate change, but two, more specifically, give people the roadmap, examples of ways in which people are solving those small chunks. So now to kind of zoom into the nuts and bolts a little bit more, is there a particular moment or a theme that you felt was most consequential, uh, a breakthrough in the narrative. What is your thinking within the context of, of that question?
1: I think that the ultimate thing around climate or the front of mind issue that I find with climate is habit. I think every company that we've talked to has had a specific example of how they're changing the way that people think to fix these problems. And so changing how people think and how people act is a monumental problem. But whether it's through education, through social media, like we sort of see with Blue Land, and if you're not following Blue Land and you're conscious about sort of your climate footprint, absolutely go follow them because they post little questionnaires or little sheets and lists and worksheets about how you can think about your own usage that is so important. Or if it's something like Lumi that's partnering with companies to sort of give them the wide berth of information as to their supply chain and their products and their packaging and all of these different aspects and putting those pieces together to sort of create better decision-making processes. I think that that's one of those fundamental things that we don't necessarily think about because it is habit, because it is process. Mm -hmm. I think I'd
0: love to jump in to the Lumi example because... You talk about habit change, and it's really easy and convenient to talk about habit change. To actually change habit is a hard thing to do. It might be easy to do in the short term. It's hard to maintain over a long period of time. So Lumi's approach to changing habit and helping people and companies make smarter decisions deserves, I think, additional showcasing here. So, we know Lumi as the packaging partner behind Casper, FabFitFun, all these super cool direct to consumer companies. But what Lumi does behind the scenes is give these brands the ability to make smart supply chain decisions. And that could be anything from where their production or manufacturing partner exists, right? Are they, you know, a hundred miles away from most of their consumers? Are they abroad? So helping the brand or nudging them to a manufacturing partner that's closer to the destination um, through the actual kind of ingredient stack or material stack that makes up the packaging, right? the inks that are being used, the types of papers and materials that are being used. Just the takeaway here is Um, It's easy to talk about behavior change, but what Lumi does is it understands that changing behavior is hard, and the easiest way to help change behavior is make it really easy for people to do so. And they do that by giving them the necessary information, the click of a button to change behavior.
1: Yeah, and I think when we talk about changing behavior, particularly changing corporate behavior, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what the consumer's role in that problem is. Uh, We talked about it with Tom Zaki. We talked about it with Stephanie at Queen of Raw. Consumers have a fundamental role in sort of voting as consumers to force companies to make better decisions. Your wallet is your ballot, you know, and we have sort of this, this ultimate consent of the governed power to dictate whether or not companies are going to make the right decisions. And something that Jess really brought up was manufacturers don't produce waste because they want to, because they're these, you know, top hat wearing mustache twirling people who want to ruin our planet. They make things because they're told to, that's their business. And so unless we put pressures on companies and then give them the information and the options to change, we're not going to see a change because it is habit. Mm -hmm. I actually, uh, I want to flip this on you. What has been your favorite episode of In Good Hands today? Oh, Daniel. So the true gut response here is that
0: um, it's hard to select a favorite episode because in each of those conversations, Uh, They all deliver something unique, a different learning, a different type of science that I've never heard of before, but I'd say one episode that I found really captivating was Recompose. What Recompose does is um, introduce or pioneer a new end-of-life option. The reason why the episode fascinates me is I love hearing about people that Look at these centuries-old industries or traditions and ask themselves, should we be doing it the way that we have been doing it? Recompose is a great example of this. And the funny thing is when I talk to people, talk to people in our community, friends in our network that have listened to the episode, it's actually one of the ones that have been the most split as in people vehemently disagree with what Recompose is doing or think that it's fascinating and want to choose that you know, when the time comes. And it's those types of things, these polarizing and thought-provoking conversations
1: that I find really interesting. I think when we, when we first sat down, Recompose was one of the first 10 companies that we put on the list because it was so daring. So I think Recompose is a a great answer there. When in the last 19 episodes did you find yourself sure about what we were doing? When was that first confirmation point in sitting down and talking with some of these business leaders as to, yes, the climate problem set is the correct narrative. And this is these are the different lessons that we should be sort of talking about.
0: There isn't a single moment But there is a single thread that has moved the needle on my personal belief in optimism around the narrative that we're trying to propagate and develop here. It's that sustainability and market viability or commercial opportunity are no longer these tense counterparts. And that is a theme that I think you've heard rang true at least across 80% of our interviews. I mean, yes, there are a few moonshot interviews we've had that are pre product release. High promise and high potential, but still pre product released. But there are a suite of examples of founders showing us that you can be both kind of planet conscious, socially responsible, and have a very meaningful business, right? An example of this is Appeal Sciences. Appeals created this plant-derived coating that, when applied to fresh produce, extends the lifetime of those crops, avocados, apples, by a factor of two or three times. So we're talking weeks longer before going spoiled. So if you look at what the implications of that breakthrough is in real life, now you have significantly less spoilage across the supply chain. And so less churn in grocery stores, less churn in people's homes. But two, they're eliminating the need for cold storage infrastructure. So the first time, people that have never been able to access healthy food before can now do so in countries that Don't have cold storage infrastructure like Nigeria. It's a great example of um, a pilot that they executed against. And for the first time, millions of people could have fresh food. It is a big deal. So to kind of come full circle, the takeaway here is the the threat that we've seen across the episodes is major breakthroughs that solve climate at scale, right, that are planet-conscious – either explicitly reduce the amount of greenhouse gas that's emitted into the air or to indirectly kind of reduce the amount of waste that ends up in our waste stream and to kind of fundamentally increase the quality of life for people around the world while also increasing your bottom line. It is a really captivating narrative that I think we'll only see increase going into 2020
1: and years on. I think... This is a perfect example. When we talk about this tension and we look at a lot of these companies who are making big, big business out of sometimes what's just waste. I mean, it's the perfect classical example of one man's trash could be another man's treasure. And so taking these options and creating new things or even just looking for holes that exist today is not a point of tension. It's an opportunity for all sorts of different business. Anyone unpack that? I think the cleanest example of that is Queen of Raw. So Stephanie took an industry that she discovered, which is $120 billion of unused fabric. And she created, instead of just trying to sell that trash or sell that unused waste, she went a step further to create a marketplace. And so now if she does 1% of the world's business in that one industry, unused fabric, and then takes a 1% commission on that, she's making $12 million a year and also clearing a big problem. And She gives that example of that one t-shirt could take 1400 gallons of water in its entire lifespan from creation to usage. Mm -hmm. Fixing those problems and saving that fabric is such an important climate solution. But it's also incredibly lucrative. Mm-hmm. And another example of this is food for all,
0: right? We're still in the early innings with that venture. But it's another case study in someone looking at waste streams, right? Seeing all of the surplus food that's produced every day, going to these restaurants and saying, you know what? Why don't we put those leftover meals onto our app, onto our marketplace? and then sell them at 50 to 80% off. And it's a win-win-win across the board, right? I mean, listen to the Food For All episode to hear about the details there. But the spark notes is the food is going to waste anyway. So you're generating new revenue for the business, right? And then someone's coming into the store and potentially buying more things while they're there. Two, you're enabling access to healthy quality meals, to people from all walks of life, and then three, you're preventing those meals from being sent to landfill. It's so good for traditional consumers from all walks of life, good for business, and good for planet. Just another example of your
1: quote of, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I mean, it's there's so many options. I mean, you could even go into misfits if you wanted to about sort of just taking waste streams and turning them into strong, viable, appealing business. Dan, I I think
0: it's only appropriate for me to lay out the red carpet for you. Is there any kind of final send-offs, any kind of forward-looking statements as we kick off 2020 that you want to leave with our listeners?
1: I, I think the most important thing that listeners can do is look deeper after every show. and I think we, we often struggle with brevity because this stuff is so... Big. These problems are large. These issues are important. But even now we're sitting at 49 minutes of recording in an episode that we hope to be about 20 minutes long. You can't cover it in just a weekly podcast. So I hope that this show sparks imagination and sparks, you know, investigation to look deeper into climate or even into bigger issues that climate might affect. Um, and sort of draw your own conclusions, close your own loops, and hopefully a new way of living or a new way of thinking about the world at large can sort of grow.
0: Dan, thank you so much. And to everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful new year. And, you know, tell a friend about In Good Hands. If If you care about climate and you want to help other people understand it, you want to give them hope about the future, send them your favorite episode. You know, it would really mean a lot to myself, I think to Dan as well. So thank you again, and we look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.